Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Hey, if you're uh, visiting with us this morning, welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, you're catching us uh, really kind of right in the middle of our series through the Gospel of Luke. We've been camped out in Luke chapter 11, well, for quite a while now. This is our fifth, fifth sermon as we've kind of slowed down to Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and we're asking, okay, what does it mean to pray like a Christian? Uh, we're seeing how Jesus teaches us to pray. And so this morning, um, we are uh, going to pick back up there. You know, it's it, I, growing up in... Uh, rural Alabama, I don't know how, how we all did gr- growing up, but, you know, playing football, Friday night lights, of course, big thing, right? Um, our football team would always, after, at the end of every practice and before every game, we would say the Lord's Prayer together. It's that we would say it super fast. Y'all know how athletes do it. You know, it's just, you just roll it out, right? And, and typically, when people say the Lord's Prayer in groups outside of their local church setting, chances are things go pretty smooth until about that fourth line, Right? Uh, but, but then things start to kind of fall apart because some people start saying debts and some people say trespasses and some people say sins and it kind of just falls apart, right? Do you ever wonder why different Christians say different things when it comes to that point? Um, typically, Presbyterians or people from within the Reformed camp typically say debts, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And our friends from the Baptist, Episcopal, Methodist, and Roman Catholic camps, a.k.a. pretty much everyone else but Presbyterians, tend to say trespasses, right? Well, well which word is right? You know, y'all ever had these debates, these friendly debates growing up? Well, look, I prepped a way too long answer for this. And, I, and after reading through, I was like, nobody is interested in this. So I just cut like a whole, like two paragraphs. Here's what I have for you, Okay. Um, Long story short, debt is the original word in Greek. Debt, okay. Debt was the original word in the Septuagint. Debt was what the early church fathers like Augustine and early Bible translators like John Wycliffe all used. Because one, well, that's what Jesus said. And and two, that's a pretty great description of what sin is. Because one, well, one, sin is a debt that we owe to God. Someone said that in a capitalistic society, sin is best thought of in terms of debt. You know, that by sinning, we failed to give God what we owe God, uh, namely wholehearted obedience, you know, un- un- unswerving obedience. Okay. Well, throughout church history, in walks William Tyndall, and when he translated the Bible into English, he personally preferred trespasses because he thought nobody understands debts, people understand trespasses and sins. Um, so he, he put that in, and here we are today with this, uh, the differences. Uh, debts more closely convey Jesus' original teaching, but all three, all three options are saying the same thing. Whether it's debts or trespasses or sins, they're all saying the same thing, that by God's grace, the Lord's prayer is also the sinner's prayer. Amen? And so with that, um, let's hear Jesus' teaching. Again, the wording is a little different in Luke's rendering of it. Uh, But let's hear what Jesus says this morning about what does it mean to pray like a Christian. This is God's word. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, 
And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not to temptation. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, may you bless now uh, the reading and now the preaching of your word. Uh, go deep, deep into our, our souls. Uh, may we find you to be the one that we've, we've wanted this whole time. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so I, I was doing a wedding a few years ago. And um, <laughs> one of the, the members of the wedding, not the bride or groom, but one of the members of the wedding party didn't like the idea that I was a Christian pastor and um, kind of kept throwing these subtle jabs at me. This individual said something to the effect of, look, you're always talking about forgiveness and repentance. I never knew I needed forgiveness. Why do I even need to be forgiven? Good question. We talked about that a bit, and, and what I found to be really ironic is that I get the same question from believers as well. You know, it's like, I've, I've already been saved by Jesus. I've already been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Why do I need to continue asking God to forgive me? And of course, the, the very short answer to that is, well, because we keep on sinning, right? And, and please know, I mean, of course, this is not a salvation issue that we're after here. This is a, this ongoing confession, ongoing forgiveness, is, this is just a taking up our cross and following Jesus type of, of thing. So growing up uh, on uh, the dairy farm, <laughs> there were times, I don't know why, I think me and my brothers just made up times where we had to do this. Uh, there were times where we had to walk across these really deep pits of manure. And um, your boots, of course, we would wear these, those black, cheap rubber boots that they, they, your feet come out of them half the time, right, as you're walking. So we would, uh, we would walk across, and our boots would just get caked with manure. Of course, that would make it heavier. That would cause us to sink even deeper into this manure pit, causing us to end up accidentally, accidentally um, stepping out of our boots and then falling face first into a big warm pile of cow manure. And Annie's like, did that really happen to you? I was like, yeah, that really happened to me. Uh, more times than I care to share. Okay, the author of Hebrews, if you remember, very, very famous verse in Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. All right, daily repentance, daily forgiveness is akin to kicking off those manure-caked boots and putting on those nice, light, on-cloud running shoes and, and running the Jesus way is like so much easier that way. And so daily repentance, daily forgiveness is how we were made to live, free and easy, right? Y'all may remember the story, uh, we've shared this before, of Simon Wiesenthal, uh, who at one point, Simon Wiesenthal was the world's top Nazi hunter. Uh, he tracked down Nazis and, and prosecuted them for war crimes, uh, during the Holocaust, and, and knowing his background, you can understand why this really lit a fire under him, because he was a Polish Jew who witnessed his grandmother being killed in the stairwell of his home, and then he went out and he saw his mom being loaded up into this cattle cart with other elderly women and being shipped off, never to be, he never saw them again. Um, he said that he lost no less than 87 of his relatives 
to the Holocaust. And after the war, he wrote a book entitled The Sunflower, where he retells an experience, you may remember this story, um, where he was, he was, of course, a prisoner working in a Nazi work camp, and there he had been assigned to the hospital as an orderly, where his job was to you know, sweep the floors, take out the garbage, just kind of you know, keep things clean. Well, one day a nurse ran up to him and asked, are, are you a Jew? And they just grabbed him and drug him into this other room where there was an SS officer laying on his deathbed. And Wiesenthal wrote, the SS officer spoke and said, my name is Carl, and I have to tell you of this horrible deed. I, I must tell you because you are a Jew. And Carl then, he said, reminisced about his Catholic upbringing, his childhood faith, and how he lost it all in the Hitler Youth Corps. Carl explained that how he and his soldiers had been in the Ukraine when his unit stumbled upon some hidden landmines that killed 30 of his soldiers. And as an act of revenge, anger, the SS rounded up 300 Jews just nearby, herded them into a three-story house, doused it with gasoline, and launched grenades at it. He said the screams from the house were horrible. He said he vividly remembered, he saw a man with a small child in his arms, his clothes were on fire, and by his side stood the mother of that child, and with his free arm, the dad covered the face of the child and jumped through the flames out of the house into the street, seconds later followed by the mother, which was a mistake. Because Carl said any who tried to escape or any who survived the fire were shot. And he kept describing other atrocities, but, but kept coming back to this, this picture he had in his mind of this, this young boy with black hair, dark eyes, who fell from the building and became target practice for the SS rifles. And Carl said, I am left here alone with my guilt of what I've done. In the last hours of my life, you are here with me. I, I do not know who you are. I only know that you are a Jew. And that's enough. I know what I tell you is terrible. In the long nights in which I've awaited death, I've longed to talk about it with a Jew and beg forgiveness, only I didn't know if there were any Jews left. I know what I'm asking is almost too much, but without forgiveness, I cannot die in peace. Will you forgive me? And Wiesenthal said in that moment, of course, he felt the immense burden of his entire race bear down on him. He said he stared out the window he stood and thought, and then in his book he wrote, At last I made up my mind, and without a word I left the room. Of course, years later, he, he, he wrote the book Sunflower with the sun, subtitle On the Possibilities and Limits of Forgiveness, really to ask the question that we all ask at, at various places, to, to ask if his failure to forgive was pardonable itself. And so in his book, he asked professors and theologians and poets and artists the opinion on what he had done, and he got their responses. He asked Jews, Catholics, Protestants. He asked priests, pastors, rabbis, and he wrote the book chronicling their responses of how do we deal with forgiveness. And by the way, the results were over, overwhelmingly unified. Uh, one American professor said, the enormity of the crime exceeds all possibility of forgiveness. You ain't forgiven that person. One novelist said, let the SS die unshriven with his sins not forgiven. Let that man go to hell. And a Christian wrote, I think I would have strangled him in his bed. Well, Philip Yancey, in really kind of reflecting, writing a review of this book, said, 
He said, I was taken aback by the near unanimity of the responses. He said, I expected more of the Christian theologians to speak of mercy. But in a world of unspeakable atrocities, and we know this, all right, that forgiveness indeed seems unjust, unfair. It, it sometimes seems irrational. Okay. Well, Westminster, there is a huge gap, obviously, between what our world says about forgiveness and really in what many Christians say about forgiveness and, and in what Jesus had to say uh, about forgiveness. Like, I didn't realize this was even a debate in the church on this, that, that we forgive as we have been forgiven, as Trey mentioned in his prayer, right? That by withholding forgiveness, it's like us saying that we don't want God to forgive us. But this week in studying, I stumbled upon this entire subculture of Christians who insist that granting forgiveness to people who are unbelievers is actually the unbiblical thing to do. They argue that us offering forgiveness is really just about ourselves. It's kind of selfish. That it's about us letting go and about us feeling better. All the while we are failing to take into account the ultimate well-being of the person who, uh, who has sinned against us. And so these, these Christians argue, Christians argue that it's unloving to forgive them because the most important thing we can do in any situation is seek the ultimate salvation of sinners, which, in their mind, can only be done by pointing out their sins, not by ignoring them. And so to hint that forgiveness may be possible without repentance is to fly in the face of the gospel way. Okay, that's, okay, that's what they say. And needless to say, that's, that's troubling. Because, well, one, if you think about it, it, like, it puts people's salvation on us instead of on, on the Lord, right? That it's the Lord who calls people to repentance. Uh, but two, it fails to acknowledge that there's, that being forgiven by another human and being forgiven by God are like two different things, right? Two completely different things. And to this, um, y'all may remember uh, Rachel Denhollander. Uh, I think she struck the appropriate balance on what, what, is, what does this look like biblically. Uh, remember, she was given the opportunity to address uh, the man who abused her in court. Remember Larry Nasser. And uh, if you remember what she said, as she's standing before the serial sexual predator, uh, she nailed the reason many so-called Christians never change. This is really the dividing line between the kind of nominal Christians and like the real Christians. She said, Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. No, it comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry speaks of a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. And then she said, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience the true repentance and true forgiveness that God offers, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. 
And so to this debate, Rachel agreed with something John MacArthur would say to this. John MacArthur said, to make conditional or to make conditionality the gist of Christ-like forgiving seems to miss the whole point of what Scripture is saying. Charles Spurgeon even said it this way. He said, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you pray the Lord's Prayer. And in the Bible, there may not be a better place than what Trey read this morning to better understand the Jesus way of forgiveness. And so in what time we have left, since apparently there is like a debate in the greater Christian world about this, I think it's important that we spend time being reminded of Jesus' quintessential teaching on forgiveness. So in Matthew 18, as Trey read, Peter came up and he asked this question that we, we all ask at some point. How many daggum times do we have to forgive somebody? Right? Well, in Jesus' day, the rabbis all said three. Okay? Your spouse, you know, do something that just really annoys you, forgive them three times, but after that, we're going to have to figure something out, right? All right, so when, when Peter answered by suggesting seven times, he was already being ex extraordinarily gracious for his day. And yet, did you catch what, what, what happened in our New Testament reading? Peter thought he was going above and beyond, right? And yet Jesus said, look, I, I don't say to you seven times, but I say to you seven, 77 times. And, and that phrase 77 doesn't mean that you get your counter out and on the 78th time, you're like, eh, <laughs> done, right? No forgiveness for you. But that's, it's, a, it's a phrase that was very poignant uh, to, to the Hebrew people because if you remember, all the way back in Genesis 4, we meet this man named Lamech. Remember Lamech? Um, Lamech, who aside from being responsible for establishing Canaanite culture and being the first man to defy God's good plan for marriage by marrying two wives, um, we also find that he was the trailblazer for our culture's fascination with revenge and murder. You know, look up the top podcast, the top shows on Netflix or wherever you, you know, get your distraction um, many of them have to do with murder, right? Serial killers, revenge, violence. Think of the plot of every action movie ever, right? It, it's someone with an axe to grind. Okay, well, all that goes back to Lamech, because you remember that Lamech rounded up his wives, and you can imagine he's almost, he's kind of, he's intimidating his wives, because reminding them, don't mess with me. He says, look, a, a man, I killed a man who only hit me. And then he said, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then my revenge, Lamech's revenge, is 77-fold. And so y'all know this in the Bible, that number seven is kind of the number of completion. So as to say that God's vengeance on anyone who killed Cain would be the perfect measure. It, it, would, it would be appropriate to the crime. But for Lamech to then turn and say 77 is to go beyond what is appropriate. Okay, It's like, you give me a bruise, I'm going to snap your neck. Right? I'm going to go above and beyond what makes sense. So he's declaring to his wives and the rest of the world that his way would be an abundance of revenge and vengeance. Okay, well, Jesus is taking that negative scene all the way back from the Old Testament, and he's flipping it on its head and so as to say, when someone sins against you, it's not just 77 times, but you, the 77, means you exceed the boundaries of what seems appropriate. Your family or your friends may think you're crazy. Okay? You bestow upon them an abundance, an abundance of forgiveness. 
And because of how impossible that sounds, to better teach the cruciform way of forgiveness, Jesus told a story. He said the kingdom of heaven, which means life as a follower of Jesus, is kind of like a man or like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. And one of his servants owed him 10,000 talents. And just for context, 10,000 talents is roughly the equivalent of 750,000 pounds of gold. So this is a pretty sizable chunk, right? Uh, based on the price of gold this week, $19.8 billion. Okay, so um, I, I can't even imagine. I, I can't even count that many zeros, right? Uh, well, how much is your debt to God for your sin? What is your debt to God? It is more than we could ever imagine. Like, it's not just like, okay, I owe him a couple thousand bucks. I can probably take care of it in the next couple of months. No, it's like, you ain't ever making this money, okay? It, we can't even count those many zeros. Well, the king knew that. He knew it was impossible for his servant, that his servant owed a debt that he could never repay. And so out of mercy, that word pity means that, that the, king's, the king's face went out to him in mercy. The king's heart went out to him. And so the king forgave that impossible debt. Okay, so... So this is like, this is the good news of the gospel. That in Jesus, you, all of us, we, we, have, we have been forgiven a debt that we could never repay. And it is living out of that reality. That is gospel living. Living out of that forgiveness. And you know, um, some, I know some kind of people who aren't believers would come here this morning and read the confession of sin that we had. And they'd be like, boy, y'all really love making people feel guilty, don't you? Um, and um, I don't know, maybe they can say that. But this isn't, our, our confessions as they go down through, we confess our sins not so that we can feel just miserable all the time. We confess our sins so that we can receive this amazing mercy of God and so that we can live free. That's the reason we confess. Well, anyway, in the story, y'all know what happened. All this time, the servant was delusional about his debt. He kind of still thinking he could pay it. Because the whole time the servant was saying, Look, just give me more time. I'll, 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 I'm, good for, I'm, good for, I'm totally good for it. I'll do more. I'll try harder. I will repay my debt. He, he didn't think he needed forgiveness because he was going to fix it. And Jesus wants us to see that if you think that, like if you think that you can fix it, you, you are delusional. Okay? The servant didn't know the depths of his need of mercy, and thus he did not relish the height of mercy that he was given by the king. And when that happens, when we don't get that gospel forgiveness, we, we see the outcome. Lament comes out in us, doesn't it? This is like, again, every Hollywood movie happens. The servant walked out, and he found someone who owed him super minor debt, right? Um, just 100 denarii. And you know what happened? Remember when we did our, our sermon on parenting and we were breaking down that verse about not provoking your children to anger? Y'all remember that, that proverb? Um, and, and we found that the number one way to make your kids bitter and resentful towards you is to chastise your kids for the very same thing that you do. Okay? Well, this is what's happening here. He grabs this man who owns him a super minor fee. He seized him. He choked him. Basically saying, pay, pay up or else. And the man fell down and did the exact same thing. He, the servant had just told the king, look, just give me more time. I, I, I'll get the money. I will repay you. But instead of giving the forgiveness he had been offered, there was no forgiveness. 
And he threw that man into prison until he could pay. Okay, I hope as you read this, we're seeing that when we withhold forgiveness, like we are insane, right? You realize that, right? Like you are so not, not tracking with the gospel. So some other people saw what happened. They reported it back to the king. The king called the servant back in and said, I forgave you because you pleaded with me. And then when someone else pleaded with you, you didn't show them the same mercy that I showed you. And, and in anger, the king threw the man in jail, the servant in jail, until he could pay his debt, which, like, he ain't leaving that jail. Okay. And then Jesus delivered that summary statement that is oh so haunting. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay. Well, some have taken this verse to mean that you can lose your salvation if you don't offer forgiveness. Um, so you better forgive. Right? And other Christians, um, well, Christians and secular alike, have talked about the emotional benefits of offering forgiveness. That, that like this man, when he didn't forgive, it was ultimately himself who was imprisoned. And so to forgive, as theologian Lewis Mead writes, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. All right, Jesus makes it clear that, that neither of those is the true reason we forgive. James Boyce captures it. He says, there is an unbreakable connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of other people. Unbreakable connection, which means our inability to forgive isn't about our losing salvation, nor about us feeling bad, as much as it is the fact that we were possibly never saved to begin with. So Jesus is trying to impress upon us the reality that we have an overwhelming debt that we are not able to pay back. And the, and the only hope any of us have is in God's heart, that pity, God's heart going out to us in forgiveness, that, that, we, that we're rebels, you know, that we, we're, our sins, our debt nailed Jesus to the cross, and yet while we were still sinners... Christ not only died to pay our debt, but he also did that to give you, to give us his record. And so we, we can't be forgiven nor a forgiver until we have seen and experienced the sacrificial love of God for us. And, and this is not to make light of any sin or, or pain that others have inflicted upon us. Because, I mean, there are times just with us, like, you know, especially with your kids, right? You have this, this situation at school. You have these like bullies that try to bully you. Like, you don't want to forgive them. You want to beat them up, right? And yet, not to make light of any of that, but when we see the reality that, that all of that, as horrific as the past abuses that we have experienced and sins, all of that pales in comparison to the evil that we have done towards God. It pales in comparison. That when we see ourselves as we truly, truly are, that we are the worst, like, like most undeserving candidates for mercy ever. Yet, by grace, in Jesus, that is exactly what we've been given. Like it would be impossible to withhold forgiveness from others. So, do you know the forgiveness of God this morning? Uh, or, or, or maybe a better diagnostic question is, do you forgive others? Um, or, or is there someone you're withholding it from? Uh, maybe your spouse. Um, maybe 
a child, maybe a coworker. Um, you know, maybe it's just another farmer. Y'all have gotten in squabbles. You know, it could even be a fellow church member. Heck, it could be your pastor. It could be an elder. I want to encourage you to seek seek that, to to not withhold it anymore. If that's the case, maybe you're dancing around the edges, but you've still yet to plunge into the fountain of grace. And so this morning is an invitation to come and for you to experience the fountain of grace, to experience the freedom of forgiveness in Christ and then be empowered in Him to offer that same forgiveness to others. Amen. Well, like last week, having unpacked this prayer, I think it's only appropriate that we close out our time by standing and pray not just the Lord's Prayer, but the sinner's prayer together. So let's, let's pray together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.